0: meetings are over and we are here to discuss them welcome back everybody on spotify live apple Podcasts, wherever you get your podcasts this is the mlb marathon podcast jake joined by noah and andrew Kahn is joining us this week we have a three-man crew on top of the guys and gals that are joining us on spotify live guys welcome in it's been an eventful time over the past couple of weeks andrew it's been a while since you've been on the show how have you been man
1: Good, man. Just excited to be here. You know, perfect timing with the winter meetings uh, wrapping up and a lot to discuss with you guys.
2: Noah, how are you doing? Oh, I'm fabulous. You know, living the dream. Trey Turns of Philly.
0: Yeah, and that's one of the moves that we'll discuss. We'll discuss a lot of things. Uh, but let's start with a little bit of a recap. Um, I'm trying to pinpoint exactly when to start this sort of recap, the starting point. I want to I say Saturday the 3rd is technically when it started, but we had a couple days in between where um, well, not even that, but even a couple of days beforehand where some of the things picked up. Uh let's start the day before the actual winter meeting started. And that was December 2nd. Jacob deGrom announced that he was going to the Texas Rangers on a five year contract. But I think the biggest move of that of that entire day, and I strongly mean this, was reliever Sean Poppin going to the San Diego Padres off waivers. I I think that was the best deal of the day. Um, But no, in all actuality, the Grom goes the day before the winter meetings really kick off. Uh, Then the the four things sort of open up with a couple deals. One of them being Mike Clevenger. you can hear my dog is wanting to get out of my room. So I will allow her to escape this prison. Um, So we have... Mike Clevenger kicking off the biggest moves, I would say. Uh, December 5th, we saw a couple other ones. Adonis Medina went to the Brewers. Um, Clayton Kershaw back to the Dodgers, which we all kind of expected. Kyle Gibson signed, went to the Baltimore Orioles. Just picking out a couple here. Obviously, there were a lot of names that were moved. Um, On the 6th, Nomar Mazzaro went to Baltimore. Uh, Mitch Haniger on the 6th went to San Francisco. And then in the days that followed the winter meetings, we saw Justin Verlander get re-signed, this time to the Mets, uh, which, in my opinion, was probably the biggest move aside from DeGrom. And then in the days that followed, we had the Rule 5 draft. Some of the guys were picked up the Mets or opened the pocket strings a little bit. David Robertson with Jose Quintana as well. Texas added Andrew Heaney. Not a good signing, not a bad one either. Trey Turner, as Noah said, went to the Phillies. Uh, Wilson Contreras replaced Yadier Molina in St. Louis. Trevor Williams, who is more under the radar after a great season last year with New York, went to Washington. And then the last, well, the last couple of moves: Brandon Nimmo stays with the Mets. Senga goes to the Mets. That was a big shock. And uh, the Boston Red Sox—they were in on a couple of people. Um, names slipping me right now. I forget who <laughs> who they signed. Yoshida. Um, Yes, thank you, Yoshida, They signed. So really, it was an eventful period, an eventful winter. Winter meetings. Personally, I think you could have gone a little bit better in terms of uh, big names going to different places or resigning. You know, just not much, not many big names in the news. Uh, but really, it was kind of like that period after the winter meetings that we saw more movement. Andrew, I'm going to toss it to you. Let's start with some light thoughts on the winter meetings and some of the big deals that went on.
1: Yeah, sure. Um, so as Noah you know, mentioned before, Trey Turner went to Philly and what we kind of expected him to do. Um, not many people expected the 11 years, but the 300 million is pretty spot on. And, you know, Dombrowski is kind of going for it coming off the World Series and added Taiwan Walker and Matt Schramm. I think all three ads are significant upgrades to what the Phillies had coming in. You know, you have Turner can slot into shortstop, probably hit second. And you know when he's right he's a top three player in all of baseball so philly nation should be super happy about that you know there's a great chance for another red october um taiwan walker he was great for the mets first half both seasons tapered off a little bit but he is a significant upgrade uh in the back end of their rotation and matt stram has a potential to be a really dominant left hander out of the pen if he can stay healthy
2: no yeah. Your thoughts? yeah i i agree with all of that there um you know, as far as the winter meetings go, I, I wouldn't say, I would say it was uneventful. I mean, we actually saw most of the big names come off the board. I mean, now we're just really waiting on Swanson, Correa, and Rodon as far as the uh, the big three remaining. But uh, I- I'm satisfied. I mean, obviously, as a Phillies fan, I'm satisfied with what, what Dombrowski did at the meetings, like Andrew said. Um, I'm also, if I'm a Mets fan, I'm very satisfied because, you know, they kind of picked up the slack where uh, – where all the, like the Phillies were getting better and the Mets kind of answered, if that makes sense. Um, but what I'm kind of shocked by is what the San Diego Padres did. And that was bringing Xander Bogarts on an 11-year deal as well for $280 million. And I, I just, I didn't really see the fit there with the Padres. I mean, I could be wrong, but I, I just, it, it, it kind of came out of nowhere to me. So um, that's that's just kind of my, uh, my life.
0: All right, yeah, and that's a good segue into our next topic of conversation. Uh really winners and losers of uh this winter meetings period. I think it's it's known to everybody. The Mets, in my opinion, were the top winners. I I mean, yeah, you lose DeGrom, which is a big blow, and that kind of gave everybody a little bit of a bitter taste. Some expected it, some didn't, but then you fill in those gaps. With the guys like Jacob, or I'm sorry, Jacob deGrom, Justin Verlander, um, Jose Quintana. You bring in David Robertson to the bullpen. Um, I think that's a good bit of replenishment for that Mets bullpen and starting rotation. So obviously there's a little bit of winner there. Then they bring in Brandon Nimmo, which a lot of people didn't know if they were going to bring him back or not. So that's a little bit of a winner in my opinion. Um, i trying to – I was going over this. I would consider the Texas Rangers slight winners, Um, obviously, with DeGrom. If he stays healthy and he pitches like he did in New York, it's going to look back as probably one of the greatest deals they've ever made. Um, Then bringing in Andrew Heaney, who, like I said before, is – he's all right. You know, he's not the greatest thing in the world. But if he can be serviceable, keep that ERA down and sort of be like a nice back end of the rotation piece – It'll really look like that the Texas Rangers have built themselves a you know, quite a good pitching uh, committee throughout this offseason. So I, I, right now to me, and I'll also consider the Phillies a win because of Trey Turner. That was a big one. Um, uh, but those are just like my top three winners. Yeah, I would say that maybe the Yankees are a winner in bringing back Judge, but I think half the population thought that he was going to be back with the Yankees regardless. I give him credit to the fact that, um, you know, the fact that he put his legacy before cash, and you know, he he's loyal to the Yankee base. I, I commend him for that, um, and I commend Cashman for bringing him back too. Um, so, but I, I mean, with it being expected, I wouldn't consider that a major win. Um, it's a win nonetheless, though. Um, I don't know, Andrew. What do you? Who do you think really won big in this um, in this winter
1: meetings? I. I think it's safe to say the Mets are among all of our topics, but uh, what are some of the other? Yeah, no, you touched on the Mets being a winner. Uh, You mentioned Nimmo, Verlander, Quintana, D-Rob. I actually want to touch on one of their trades, uh, Brooks Raley. Brooks Raley, you know, they've had issues with lefties in their pen for a long time. Joey Rodriguez stunk up the joint, couldn't throw a strike many times out there. Uh, Brooks Raley, he was lights out for the Rays last year, I think, you know, for a $5 million deal. uh, And they didn't really trade anything for him. The kid they traded was a prospect who you – kind of hope would turn into Brooks Raley. So for a win-now team, I think that was a no-brainer for them. And I also love their Rule 5 pick from the Yankees, Zach Green. He uh, he was top 15 in, like, XFIP, uh, ERA+, Plus and a bunch of other category, category, <coughs> categories for them. So I, I love his chance to uh, contribute out of the bullpen this year. Um, another winner, obviously, the Phillies, the Rangers, of course. I actually like what the Cubs did. Um, they grabbed Bellinger on a one-year deal, $17.5 million, I believe it was, uh, no risk there, you know. They have a glut in depth in in the outfield, so they can even use them at first. And they grab James and Tyon. Um, a lot of people slept on their rotation, but in the second half, their one through five had a sub three ERA. If if Tyon can you know replicate what he did last year, that brings their rotation to, you know, a, a, another another echelon, another level. That you know you could see them. Obviously, they're not contenders. But, you know, grabbing a tie-on, grabbing a Bellinger, and, you know, it looks like they're still in the market for a Dansby or Correa. They could end up being pretty big pretty big winners when all said and done because um, it certainly looks like they want to spend.
2: Yeah, I, I love what you said there about the Cubs because you, you kind of took the words right out of my mouth. I was going to go there too. Um, I also think that they will still probably end up with either Dansby, Swanson, or Correa. I think Swanson's probably the more likely of the two. But if they do that, I mean, that kind of puts them in conversation as as a potential contender. Because if you look at the NL Central, I mean, it's it's really weak. Um, You know, the Cardinals, they're a good team, but I'm not really sold on their pitching. And obviously, you know, you're bringing in Wilson Contreras. And I mean, that's fine. He's a great offensive player. But his pitch framing is terrible. His defense is terrible. I mean, you know. In, in my opinion, I almost look at him as like a DH kind of player. I mean, obviously, yeah, he can still catch, but they're losing that ability that Molina brought. I mean, the, the ability to call games, the ability to p- frame pitches. I mean, that's that's a big deal that a lot of people aren't really talking about right now. So um, I, I, I can totally understand why the Cubs didn't bring him back. And I, I also think the Cubs are in on Sean Murphy as well from the athletics, which we were told he was close to being traded and nothing ever came to substance there. So <laughs> yeah. um but yeah, no, I really like what the Cubs did. But as as far as winners go, you know, I, obviously I got to put the Mets in the top spot. I mean, they're just kind of blowing everybody away there. Um, I'm going to put the Phillies in the second spot. Might be some bias there, but, you know, whatever. And then I, I would agree with you. I'd, I'd put the Cubs in the third spot because the Cubs made a lot of noise and, and the teams that needed to make noise just didn't. So I would call a team like the Dodgers losers of the meetings. Um, the Giants losers because they put all their eggs in one basket with Aaron Judge. And I, it didn't really seem like they were going anywhere else because they seemed convinced that they were going to end up with Judge. And and they just didn't. And they ended up with Mitch Haniger instead, which no knock to him, good player, but obviously not Judge. So, um, And I, honestly, I'm going to call the San Diego Padres losers as well. And, you know, Xander Bogart's a great player, um, but I, I don't get it. I, I just – I really don't get it. I mean, they have four shortstops on their roster now, and it, it just – it really didn't make any sense to me unless they're planning on moving one of those shortstops like a Tatis. But, you know, whatever. What do I know? Obviously, Preller just kind of jumps the gun on whatever he feels, and, and you know, it worked out for him last year. Um, So maybe we'll see more wins out of them this year.
1: Yeah, I want to touch on uh, – Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead, Andrew. Oh, no, I was going to jump on the um... – to add some of the losers, I totally agree on the Dodgers because the Padres have gotten better, you know, on paper. The Dodgers haven't done anything. It kind of makes you, you know, think, you know, are they going to roll with some young guys or are they trying to reset their luxury tax to chase Otani next year? Um, And to look at the NL East, Phillies and Mets have gotten a lot better. The Braves haven't done anything. They've lost Kenley, O'Day, Odorizzi, Duvall. It looks like Dansby's gone and They've only added Colby Allard, Nick Anderson, and I believe Joe Jimenez. So that's a lot, and I believe Charlie Morton's a free agent as well. So they could lose even more without adding, while their main competition has gotten better. You know, it's and the Yankees. I I I love retaining Judge, but they haven't gotten better. So to me, they're currently a loser. Um, there's only so much you can you can say when you bring back Judge. Obviously, losing Judge, you become you know you you're falling off a cliff, but they haven't done enough to put them in the winner's category. And I also want to call it the Blue Jays because they whiffed on Nimmo, Bellinger, and every other center fielder so far while only adding Kevin Kiermeyer. And they also traded to Oscar Hernandez. So to me, they're big losers at the meeting as well.
0: Yeah. I want to touch on the losers a little bit just from my own point of view. I think the Padres are big losers to me. And going along to your point, Andrew, on paper, signing Bogarts was a good move. But like Noah said, it gives you an, an, a little bit of an exorbitant depth at the shortstop position and more middle infield help. What does that say for, Fernan- for uh, Fernando Tatis Jr.? I, I don't know what that spells for him. Are they going to try to move him to the outfield like people have rumored? Are they going to try to mix and match? Like, See, that, that now creates conflict. And to me, the whole deal with Bogarts kind of felt – I don't know about you guys, but it felt kind of rushed to me. Like, they, it, it was almost like, well, first of all, it happened like right as the winter meetings was wrapping up. It happened very late in the day. And, you know, Preller needed to do something. Like, he didn't want to be added to that list of teams that didn't do anything or little to anything at the winter meetings. So he kind of needed that big blockbuster move where you look at some of the names and you sort of draw them to the San Diego Padres. You're like, okay, I can make a case for that. But then they signed Xander Bogarts, to an 11-year deal. Like, I don't know if they just don't know about the future of the team or if they just want to keep around a star for a long time. But, man, I don't know. That was it's. I, I bring into question that signing just because of, A, the timeliness of it, how quickly it was thrown together, and the length of the contract. I don't, that's just, to me, I agree with you about the Blue Jays. I think they're big, lo- they're big losers, too, because they needed to do something. They had a strong year last year. They should have just built on it. But then trading Teoscar and not doing much after that, that's a big whiff. Um, like there, to me, it seems like there were more losers than there were winners. And it's not like you know there are no more good pros or no more good um, uh, free agents out there. Dansby Swanson is still a free agent, and there were John Heyman, the Dud put out a couple minutes ago that um, there's still a lot of people in the Dansby Swanson sweepstakes, and one of them is the Dodgers. Sure, they could be saving up for him, but it's like why isn't there a move yet to sign Dansby? Like, what is the holdup? There have been better uh, free agents that that are signed, whereas Dansby Swanson is still kind of just out there, and I, I don't understand why nobody made a move on him during the winter meetings. I thought somebody—I thought he was going to be one of the first names off the board. But then again, here we are. There's also a lot of good pitching talent out there still that I thought would have been gobbled up throughout the time. It's almost like there there is no clear loser. There are some losers, but there is no definite loser. Uh, It's weird to say, but, man, I I don't know. But let's talk about the winner a little bit more, and that's the Mets. (laughs) Steve Cohen broke the Steve Cohen tax, and he continues to add by spending money. It's a weird concept. You spend money to get good talent, and good things will happen. And we've talked about some of the guys they brought back. They've added some different pieces. They've brought back Brandon Nimmo, who a lot of people thought would go to a different team. But this goes to show that the Mets are committed to winning and they're going to do it at any cost necessary. They see their neighbor across town in the, new, in the Bronx. They're, they're opening up their purse strings a little bit. So the Mets are like, hey, we're going to try to copy that and we're going to, you know, sort of follow their strategy a little bit. And I think that's what we're doing here. But, uh, you know, should other teams sort of follow in this similar model? Maybe not to the extent of, you know, signing people to nine figures every single time. Uh, or not nine figures, but you know what I mean like multi million dollar contracts with you know six seven eleven years should other teams sort of follow this model too to bring people in for higher contracts, open the purse strings, and keep them around for multi years consider instead of
1: just one year uh so as our resident met fan um it's been a long time coming uh a lot of people kind of have that pessimistic Mets feel where it's like we're so used to the Wilpons. And ironically, in the last couple of years, despite, uh, despite Cohen bringing in a Scherzer, a Lindor, people have kind of been frustrated with him, which to me was baffling, but that's just Mets Twitter out there. But he's spent $360 million on free agents so far The with the penalties. He's it's looking at $80 million in penalties, which to your point before, it's more than the athletics, Orioles, Pirates, Rays, and Reds total payroll. If that's not a alarming thing to not only the other owners, but to fans, like it's like you said, spend the money, win ball games, bring in proven talent. If you spend, the fans will show up and hopefully the wins will come. So right now the Mets looking at what, 345 million in their payroll, 420 in total. And the wild part about that, that's only 3% of Cohen's net worth. So he could pay for this team with, without any hesitation. To me, I think he still has another $30 to $40 million to spend. I think his, his ceiling, if we want to say, you know, if he even has one, I think $450 after penalties is where he'll kind of end up, which brings me to Carlos Correa. I really think they are still in on Correa, but I think there's a divide in the length of contract. Um, I don't think Correa wants another short-term deal like he had last year. I think he wants a $300 million deal, but I think Cohen wants him on a short-term high salary deal. So I definitely think they're still in on a bat. The fit is there, especially at DH or even third base, third base. But I would not count the Mets out at all on adding one or two more bats and one or two more bullpen pieces. I could really see him just saying hell with it and just blow past any figure imaginable in regards to total salary of the
2: team. Yeah. So the way I look at it is where does he stop? You know what I mean? Like he, he's, he's gone this far. So why, why stop now? I mean, I agree with you. I, I don't think Correa is out of the question for them at all. Um, and I, I think there might be mutual interest there and why not? I mean, what player wouldn't want to go play for a team and for an owner that, that wants to win and proves it by writing, writing checks, you know what I mean? So um, as far as, a strategic standpoint and should other teams do it? Absolutely. I mean, I hate the tanking aspect of the game. I I hate the teams that are barely spending any money. And, you know, that statistic that you threw out there, you know, they, they have a a bigger combined payroll than, you know, three or four teams that you named. So that's a problem. Um, And honestly, I feel like there needs to be a salary floor and, and, you know, Steve Cohen's proving that. And all of these owners of every baseball team are billionaires. We know that, but, some of them are cheapos, like you know. In, in Jake's case, Jake's a Pirates fan. You have Bob Maddy. My, he cares more life. about he cares more <laughs> about seven he cares more about Seven Springs Ski Resort than he cares about his Pittsburgh Pirates. I mean, come on now. So the, the where does it stop? It has to stop. And and every team should have to start spending and and just make the league as a whole more competitive. Because I'm tired of you know year in year out. You look at a team, you're like, oh, yeah, they're going to be good. Or, oh, yeah, they're going to be bad. I mean, there's no mystery anymore. And, you know, every once in a while, we'll get that Mariners shock or, or, or something like that or the Orioles last year. But, you know, the Orioles developed a really good team, but they have to they have to start spending as well. And, I mean, they started with Kyle Gibson, but I feel like they should be in on a Dansby Swanson or in on a Correa. So, you know, it's, it's just you have the – big guys and the little guys and that's that's just how it's always been i feel
1: but it needs yeah no i I love your point about the salary floor i think it needs to happen and you know they they enforced a fourth level threshold called the steve cohen tax and cohen's like all right no problem i'm gonna blow by it like he literally looked in the owner's face and said you know what if you want to make this and name this after me no problem i'm gonna prove you guys right and all your concerns in regards to bringing me in but i think a salary floor Needs to be something talked about because it's unfair to the fans. It's unfair to the fans of the athletics, of the Pirates, of the Reds. Because when you look at how much money they make on an annual basis and how much they get from TV deals, sponsorships, marketing, you know, the number is astronomical. They ju- every team just got $30 million a couple of weeks ago, and you don't see these teams reinvesting it. I think the floor is something that absolutely needs to happen. Being a Pirates fan, in the worst position possible, I agree with both
0: of you. There needs to be something where these, you know, let's put it in perspective a little bit. A lot of reports have said that San Diego is a much smaller market media-wise than the Pirates, or than Pittsburgh. And yet San Diego goes out and they sort of make their team better by, hmm, let's look at the common denominator, spending money. I'm not saying that these guys need to max out everything in order to build a better team. You can make a profit while signing some better talent to better, better contracts. Like I'm just going to speak from a pirates fans perspective. Our biggest acquisition in terms of free agency this off season was Carlos Santana. When we signed him for $6.7 million. Now that is mere chunk change for some of these other deals, you know, like Aaron judge or maybe even Mitch Hanniger, like not even like the bigger name guys that you know they they strike a deal they get signed for a lot more than you know some of these guys do for the pirates and yet a lot of people blame it on oh it's small market i i don't buy that anymore there's a lot of reasons why the pirates the reds um the orioles like these teams that continuously tank get to where they are or you know there's no reason why they can't be where are the where these big dogs are at least close to it um i am not a big fan of this whole tanking thing I. I like that one part of it where it rebuilds the farm system a little bit with some better prospects, but when you have a reputation like the Pirates where some of these better prospects are dealt away, it kind of leaves it redundant. Um, I, don't, I, I think the problem with tanking in baseball is it's so apparent. You know, in football, to give it a little bit of a side-by-side glimpse, you look at what happens in the NFL. There's 17 weeks. You could be competitive through the first, like, seven weeks or so in the last 10, okay, these guys are tanking, but at least they put in the effort in baseball. You kind of tell when there's a tanking team earlier than ever. And I think the trade deadline kind of sells the deal like, Oh, this team's going to tank for the remaining two seasons and lose as many games as they possibly can. That's a problem. And I don't know. It sucks that MLB isn't doing more of it because they don't care about the younger guy, the smaller guys. If the media outlets have proven anything worthy is that the bigger markets are all is all where the attention's going on because that's why you're not seeing any action dealt. Everybody is so focused on the markets like New York, like San Diego, like Los Angeles. they're so fixated on that they're, they're not even focusing their attention on the Pittsburghs, on the Baltimores, on the Kansas cities. They're not faulting they're not putting their attention on that because there's no intrigue there. What intrigue are they going to draw from that? So they'd rather make everything about the Yankees, the Mets, the Dodgers, those big-name teams instead of focusing on, on the real problem in baseball. And I'm not saying you know, a salary floor slash cap's going to be the be-all, end-all solution, but at least it's a start. They need to start cracking down on these types of teams, especially when it's so blatantly obvious like we're seeing right now. If it wasn't so obvious, you'd probably have a little bit more of a divide among people saying, hey, Maybe it's not a tanking problem. Maybe it's just, you know, lack of talent or – like, you could draw connections to some of these other things. But, like, I I like what – to go back to the original topic, I like what Steve Cohen's doing. He's proving things wrong. He's ousting the real problems in baseball. And all all the while, he's building a reputable team, a team that people favor to go to the World Series, whether they do or not. Steve Cohen, in my mind, is a baseball genius. But it will you know, we'll see what happens from there. I'll get off my soapbox because I could rant for hours and hours about how the Pirates are just completely trash. So I'll just stop with that. Plus, I have another, I have a podcast for a Pirates SB Nation blog site that you need, you can check out now that I bitch about all the time. Um, so let's stay in the NL East. You know, the Phillies adding, the Mets adding. The Nationals, they've added some pieces, but no big headlines. Really, the biggest pieces that they've added were Trevor Williams and um, oh, who else did they Jamer, add? I... Jamer Candelaria. That's right. Jamer Candelaria, who you know, is not a great name by any means, but they are serviceable. They could show some improvement. So in my opinion, and I think you guys could share the same sentiment. Maybe you don't, but I think this is all a consensus here. The NL East is probably the most competitive division, and I want to ask you guys this: Is this the most competitive division that we've seen in recent? Uh,
1: so, to me, on paper, it is right now. Um, especially if you look back the last five, ten years. I know the AL East used to be the beast that it, you know, used to uh, that it was. Now we're far from there, especially with teams like the Red Sox not doing anything at all. But I think the NL East is. Firmly the best division in baseball. I think we could see 300 win teams, easily 395 plus win teams, barring health, of course. The Braves are young, they have their core in place. Anthopolis always manages to make some moves and improve them. The Mets have improved, like we've mentioned. The Phillies have improved. The Marlins, they're going to make some moves too. Uh, sooner or later, they're going to parlay some of that pitching into some bats. The pitching they have that's staying, obviously, they have the reigning Cy Young winner and Sandy. But they have some great young talent, especially arms-wise. They have a lot of guys coming up who are, who could be studs. I could see them moving a Pablo Lopez or maybe a bullpen piece to grab a couple bats. So I think they will be improved. I think the Nats, obviously, they're at the bottom of the division to me. But like you mentioned, Trevor Williams is a serviceable back end guy. Um, Candelaria is not a sexy piece, but he he he's a solid bounce back uh, player that I can see moved to the deadline. And they're also young, and they have you know. Some great prospects that they netted in, you know, selling off the farm, uh, the team last year that can take the next step forward. But to me, without a doubt, best division in baseball.
2: Noah. Yeah, I, I would definitely agree with that. And I mean, you know, you have three teams there, like you said, that could win over 100 games. And I mean, all three teams. I mean, they're they're good in different ways, but they're all so close. And you know, like we talked about before, the Braves haven't really done much yet. you know, they they lost a lot of guys to free agency, but. I mean that organization is so deep. I mean, you know, they they plan to play Vaughn Grissom at shortstop if they, if they don't sign Swanson back. And I, I mean, Vaughn Grissom is going to be a, a I think a very serviceable shortstop. He may not be superstar level whatever, but he's going to be good. So the Braves are going to be fine regardless of what they do. I mean, in my opinion, they could not make another move for the entire offseason and they could still be, you know, 95 to 100 win team. Now, I think the Phillies have gotten substantially better i mean when you add a guy like trey turner into that lineup i mean it, it just it kind of flips it all upside down you know that whole lineup last year and and this is a team that made it to the world series mind you i mean up and down that lineup it's a lot of guys that are a lot of thunder and and you know a lot of strikeouts so they finally add a guy that that gets on base you know high contact high speed you know can hit homers too can ru- drive and runs but he kind of balances that lineup out. And and that's something that they really lacked last year. So, and, you know, bringing in Taiwan Walker in, in that four spot in the rotation, I mean, that is going to be huge for them. And, you know, potentially having Andrew Painter in that five spot whenever he's ready. I mean, that rotation has has potential to be as good as anybody. But then whenever you talk about the Mets, I mean, this team is just dangerous i mean up and down their rotation is phenomenal i mean you know adding Senga into the fold now i believe Senga is going to end up being their four starter i mean and, and that is insane um they are just going to be a powerhouse i mean yeah they should probably add maybe one more bullpen piece and you know it, it wouldn't hurt to add another bat into that lineup but they, in my opinion, are, are the best team in the East right now. And then I would probably go to the Phillies and then the Braves. But, you know, all three of those teams could be interchangeable because, you know, weird things happen throughout the season. So 100% most competitive division I've ever seen since I've been.
0: Yeah, and you're not going to get any argument from me there. You could argue that the AL East stays um, stays competitive, but considering it's been competitive for years, I wouldn't really throw it into that wow factor category because it's expected. Whereas you know, you'll, you go in with um, the NL East. Like you said, Noah. New York obviously tops it all. The, the, it's, it's arguably the best team in the NL East right now. Washington got a little bit better. Uh, the Phillies got substantially better, and they can make an even better run. Um, you know, a lot of arguments could be made that um, – You know, they didn't do enough to maybe add to that World Series contending piece, but considering you're the in-house Phillies fan, um, I'm not going to step on that and, you know, say, oh, they could have done a lot better for what they did. I think they did exceptionally well. Atlanta, like you said, really, I'm just rehashing a lot of points here. Atlanta is very deep prospect-wise, and they have a solid core right now. Washington got a little bit better after finishing in the basement of the division. Really, it's just Miami that's just not there, and they – they they could they have a toss up of what they could do. They probably know that they're nowhere near a division contending team. So, uh, they could... if 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 I could just interject real quick,
2: I I feel as though Miami is mountains better than the Nationals. I mean, I I just I feel like the Nationals are going to be complete dog water. I mean, a hundred plus loss season. I mean, their their farm system's decent after getting the Padres entire farm for Juan Soto, but I mean, the Marlins got pitching, man. I mean, the Nationals just don't. But that—that's that.
1: No, you're right there. Yeah, I would, I would, I would jump on to agree with Noah there. I, I, I have the Marlins above uh, the Nats simply on the pitching. Their they're pitching's nasty, and if Jazz is healthy, if if they keep them, um, I think that they're they're a 65 to 70 win team. I, the Nats, I could definitely see losing 100.
0: You said if they keep them, I know this is going away from our original script, but I want to get your immediate thoughts. Do you think that Jazz is going to be? Tra- oh
1: man, I. It just the optics of everything that came out about him last year looked so poor. They the kid's a superstar in the making. He's such a good ball player, but everything that comes out about him is negative from a team perspective. Whether it's they don't like his swag, they don't like how he dresses, they don't like you know his personality. It's just it's so much negative around him that it wouldn't surprise me to see him floated in some trade rumors. To you know, possibly him and Pablo Lopez being sent off in a mega deal.
0: That would be interesting to see. And I mean, that's still very much up in the air, but I wanted to get your initial thoughts on that. Uh, moving on. We, I mean, it's no contest. The NL East is the most competitive division in recent history. Uh, we got a lot of big name prospects that are still out there. Correa obviously being um, the biggest one out there. There's still some big pitchers out there. The point I'm making at is there's still plenty of big name talent available on the free agent market. And I mean, obviously trademark is another thing, but let me ask you guys this. Um, what is taking these big name pre-agents so long to sign? Is it, do you think it's the contract length? Do you think it's the almighty dollar amount that's sort of holding them back? Maybe it's even the teams that are interested in them. What is forcing these guys to put the, to pump the brakes on some? Um,
1: so to me, it's the top three left in whatever order you want to put them is Rodon, Correa, Dansby, uh, two of which are Boris's clients. But they're but- – Rodan and Correa are in a really unique position, I feel. Um, in prior seasons, Boris has had to really shop his guys and kind of sell them to get those big money deals. But Rodan and Correa, the, their market is so robust. It's unique to any Boris client I've I've seen in recent years where he doesn't have to go out and sell them. He doesn't have to go out and you know, speak in these riddles and soliloquies uh, where it's like he's trying to get them the big contract. I think... Rodan and Correa are a lock for mega deals. I just think what's holding them up is the fact that there are a ton of teams who want them. Um, the Cardinals came out today as being a, you know, a late suitor for Rodan. I think Correa's market, I think you could see eight to 10 teams in on him. And I think he gets $300 million. Um, I think Rodan gets six to seven years with 30 plus million. I think he easily surpasses what Ray and Gossman got, but I think what's holding them up is just their market is so huge. There's so many teams that want them and, you know, that we've had, we've seen the the dominoes at the top of their position kind of fall. So I think this week is kind of where we get a lot of movement there. And last but not least is Dansby. I think he signs right after Correa does.
2: Yeah, I I could see that. I mean, obviously, I think Swanson's probably going to be like a 23 to 24 million a year guy. And then you're going to have Correa probably north of 30 million a year. So I mean, different players, but both really good can both really help your team out. But, you know, I, I, I tend to agree with you on the Scott Boris point. I mean, Boris doesn't have to sell these guys. I mean, they sold themselves in in 2022. I mean, you know, Correa proved that he could leave the Astros, you know, uh, amidst all of the cheating rumors and all that crap. Go to a different team and still be really good because he is a very good player. Um, So, you know, and, and like you said, there's a lot of suitors out there that could be holding the market up. They're trying to drive the price up between, you know, however many teams there are and and trying to see what the best fit is for each guy. Um. So I think Rodon's probably a lock for a five or six year deal at like 30 million plus, um, you know, same with Correa, but I think Correa could end up getting a 10 year deal because I think he, he ends up being the youngest out of all four shortstops that were available. Correct. Yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, and, and you could argue that talent wise, he's probably the best of the four. I mean, you know, as far as longevity, I think he's probably going to age the best at all four of them. So, um, I, I think he is very deserving of, of a 10 year deal, you know, 32 to 33 million a year. Um, and I, I think it could drag out a really long time just just based on how many suitors there are. And, and you know, but um, and I, I agree with you. I think Swanson signs as soon as Correa does, uh, just basically kind of getting an idea on where he should be as well. Um and Rodon, I it's it's a mystery. He could go literally anywhere and sign at any time. He could sign five minutes from now. He can sign a month from now. You know, you just don't know with him. So, I I, I totally agree with all.
0: Yeah, I think it's sorry my thing was stuck on muted, but um, yeah, I think it's really just waiting for that damn to break, and I think we're gonna see some of these guys go. on. I I agree with Andrew. I think. The main cog in this whole machine, I think, is Carlos Correa once he signs, I think that 's when we 're really going to see the see the floodgates open for some of these big stars, so hopefully they sign soon because boy we 're really starved for some big big moves and a flurry of them too. Um, well guys, with that said um, let 's open the floor for a little bit of audience discussion here. We did get a couple questions on Twitter uh, earlier today. We also got one in the chats uh, before we started recording. But for anybody that's in our room on Spotify Live, if you have a question or a thought that you'd like to send our way, it can even be a hot take uh, to get discussion going. Feel free to invite your or to ask to speak, and we can bring you up. We do ask that you keep it to one question. Um, if we have time, we'll be able to make it two. But um, with all the questions we have going on, uh, we'd like to you know, try to get everybody's in because we did miss a couple over the past couple episodes. So uh, let's try to do that. I'm going back to... Um, one of our tweets and it was the one that we put out earlier just sort of advertising the show um if i can pull it up here my ipad's running a little bit slow but um da, 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 trying to tap dance here okay so this is there's two questions regarding nl east teams and i think it's very suitable for um for today's discussion since we really headlined the nl east the first one uh, came in is from Mets headline on Twitter at Mets underscore headline. Can you cover the latest with Correa and the Mets? Now that's, that's a very, very uh, under the radar type of conversation that I think a lot of people are having. So Andrew, you're the in-house Mets fan. What's, what can you tell us about that?
1: Yeah. So I, they're, they're still firmly in on him. I believe um, I think the goal is to offer him a short term deal in regards to years. So probably probably, three to four with super high AAV reason being, they have 54 million guaranteed coming off the books next year with the potential to get up to 106 coming off the books, pending what Scherzer does. So I think the goal is, and what we've seen Cohen do is get guys on two to four year deals uh, at really high AAV to kind of reset the tax every so often, you know, every two or three years to uh, get rid of the to double up penalties. But I really think that, the Mets really want another bat. Um, they can slot Correa in at third base because, you know, him and Lindor are close. Uh, I believe at WBC, they did play third and short together. So there is some relationship there. But I think if the Mets land him, and it's, it's a long shot. I, I don't want to get Mets fans' hopes up, but I think it's a long shot. But it would have to be on a four or less year deal with incredibly high uh, annual value.
0: And that might not be the smartest thing for the Mets. Um, you'd like to see that sort of balance out a little bit. Um, and that kind of goes hand-in-hand hand with one that we got earlier in the show from Sports Update. Um, aside from having updates on Korea, and we'll go around here, quick thoughts. Who is the favorite to see?
1: It's hard to think about. Can I give you a – can I – yeah, I, I'd love – I'll, I'll go with three. There's three of them to me. I think it's the twins still, because not only has he raved about his time there, but everyone from the twins organization has waxed poetic on him. They love him. Baldelli has loved, has talked, talked incredibly positively about him and the narrative about him being this, you know, this superstar diva completely wrong. So let's get that. Let's get, a, let's get away from that, you know, just because of the Astro stigma. But to me, you get the twins. Um, I would love to see the Orioles get in on him again. I know last offseason they were in on him. And if I had to pick a third team, I would say the Cubs because Ricketts still has a lot of money to spend and he's willing to spend it.
2: Yeah, um, I would say if there's a clear favorite, I, I got to say it's the Twins. I mean, and and just with what you said there, I mean, you, you basically echoed anything I would have said. So um, definitely the Twins. I think ultimately that's where he ends up. I think he ends up back with the Twins. So... Um, and I, I love the fit there. Um, don't know how competitive they're going to be, but I think he liked his time there a lot.
1: I want
0: to just point out first Carlos Bayerga and how delusional he actually is because he put, I don't know if you guys saw his graphic that he put earlier on his social media, but he put the favorites to land Correa, I believe. And this guy <laughs> got some balls on him huh this guy thought we couldn't see it but we did and he said the pirates were gonna sign him now i'm a pirates fan and if they did that i would have a heart attack and die not being able to see korea in a bucks uniform but come on dude You that, that i that had to have been a jab not an actual thing i don't there's no way the pirates would ever yeah but guy you you, like you would Fred. definitely
2: yeah. sell your left nut if to get him on your on your team though
0: Oh, I absolutely would. I would sell anything to get Carlos Correa on the team. But the Pirates um, still, Pirates the still part, lose
1: 110 part.
0: games even with him.
1: Yes. <laughs> yeah. The funny part, though, is Bayerga had him going to the, the Giants as like a done deal last week. And then obviously we saw how that how that aged. Well, you're going to be surprised. I kind of think the Giants are kind of big on him. I think he
0: could be make a great fit there. Crawford's got one year on his contract left, and um considering he's getting up there in age, I don't know if they're going to want to bring him back on a ma- on a major deal or if they're going to want to go with Carlos Correa, well, who's a really see, good See, I, I
2: think that's that might be what Viagra meant. I, I think he, he might have meant, you know, washed Brandon Crawford goes to the Pirates and really good <laughs> Carlos Correa goes to the Giants, like like a trade-up. And that was kind of just like a subliminal hit.
0: There's more they, probability of Brandon Crawford coming to the Pirates, but there's no way that either of them will.
1: I, I forgot who the name, but there was an NBC beat reporter for the Bay Area who actually did say that Farhan is fully okay telling Brandon Crawford he's got to move to third base if they got Correa. Oh, and
0: rightfully so. I don't I don't know why you would want to move Correa if he's the better person in that position. And yeah, no, absolutely. Especially if it's only for a year. I mean, see what Crawford can do. And if he does great at third, then re-sign him. Yeah. Yeah, I think the Giants are big to fi- big to sign him. I also agree with you guys that the Twins are there. I just,
1: I, 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 I don't reason- think
2: anybody wants to sign with the Giants. I mean, honestly, let's let's be real here. <laughs> they've lost out on pretty much anybody they've been in on so far. I mean, I don't think they're going to end up with Correa. I think Man, Rod- whiff on Singa and Judge right, and I they're gonna whiff on Rodon. Rodon's not going back there. They're gonna whiff on everybody, and it's just gonna be an empty offseason of just Mitch Haniger. And I mean that that what's that gonna add? Like one or two wins, they're, maybe?
0: They're the Red Sox of the West they they really are they are brian brian shown will
1: kick your ass if you keep saying that <laughs> brian no, come just, on somewhere if you think brian about it, is tingling if you think about it it's kind of been the same off season they, they they've been linked to all these big names and then it's ah sorry they got outbid and then okay great they grabbed the hanniger they grabbed the yoshida you know two pieces that aren't going to really change well much to, to jake's
2: point too i mean to to Jake's point too on that, I I mean I gotta agree with him. The the Bogarts Padres move had to have been out of desperation because they lost out on Trey Turner. It came out they lost out on Judge. They were not going to lose out on Bogarts too. So oh they, no, they, they
1: they had to go above and beyond for a guy whose exit velo fell off a cliff last year and still gave him eleven years.
2: Yeah. So <laughs> and, and Bogarts is going to age terribly. I yeah, mean he 100%. he may oh hot the, take city. <laughs> the 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 first the first three or four years of that contract might look really good, but by year five he's gonna look like he needs a hover around to get around the bases. I mean, let's, you know what he's gonna turn it,
1: He's gonna look at, by year five. Jonathan Scope trying to play shortstop. He, <laughs> See that that that's a really really good comparison. And that don't is, get me really wrong, <laughs> Jonathan Scope was a great second baseman last year, but he's clearly not a shortstop. And I just I oh, man. They better win a world series in three or four years or that contract's going to be an albatross and you could see manny machado opt out as oh, well. oh
2: and i honestly I, I thought about that too i thought that maybe they signed bogarts because they're anticipating losing machado next year which i think they're and they could lose soto too yeah i that's that's the thing that's why when i said in the chat the other day and i'm, I'm currently working on an article saying that you know aj preller's reckless and not a good gm I, he has zero tact. I mean, none of his trades or signings have, have been with any tact. <laughs> so he's just, he's kind of developing this hodgepodge of of beens or, or gonna-be-has-been players. Like, it, this kind of reminds me of what the Marlins did back in, what was that, 2013 when they got Heath Bell, Jose Reyes. I mean, they were just packing that roster, oh, and they were God. absolutely
1: garbage. Hanley Ramirez.
0: Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's uh, Sterling Castro. Yeah, if so you even want to call him
1: a big name, so that well, you know, man, that's, it's, man. They could be really good this year and then fall off a cliff in a year. Yeah, that, that's that's exactly what I think is going to happen because
2: I just I I think that's just, it's just a hodgepodge of of good players who like they they may end up putting Juan Soto at shortstop, put freaking <laughs> Xander Xander Bogarts in left field. You know they they're just gonna try everybody everywhere. You know they're gonna be like, hey Xander, you ever catch before? Do you want to?
1: nando go wait. to first i i can't wait until tatis shows up and he's like hey man i guess i'm playing short no bro you're going to the outfield on your little motorcycle
2: <laughs> yeah
1: <laughs> I, that actually just i got yeah, it yeah that up. was that was actually really
0: good nando's gonna be like but i was on the cover of mlb 21 and xander will be like i could give less of a shit where you were <laughs> So, can I
2: can I go and answer the Phillies related question that was put on our Twitter before we get on? Yeah, have
1: at it. yeah.
2: So can you can you read the question? Yeah, it says uh, in short term,
1: can the Phillies still afford uh, Rodon? So,
2: to be completely honest with you, I don't want them to go get Rodon. I mean, I wanted Rodon before the Walker signing, but now. I don't want to block the the possibility of having Andrew Painter in the rotation because I think Painter has potential to be better than Rodon eventually, um, and and plus, I mean, you don't want to like you don't want to tie up another thirty million in a player. Whenever you know, it, it just doesn't make any sense to me. So,
1: yeah, can I, I can I w- piggyback on that real quick? Oh yeah yeah, um, Painter is going to be disgusting. I, everything I watch of him, he's got ace front level stuff. And don't sleep on Mick Abel. I, I know you know about him, of course. Oh but yeah, Abel's got a chance to be a legitimate four. Uh, so you know, with, the, the, with a three ceiling. the The way I look at
2: Mick Abel is he's kind of my trade bait. If I'm Dave Dombrowski, I mean, the Phillies need bullpen help still, and I, I think he would be a really good piece to kind of float out there for an elite reliever. So I, I, I don't know, Alex,
1: Alexis Diaz maybe. Yeah, so
2: something like that. So um I'm really really high on Painter. Painter's my untouchable, but yeah, no, we're we're not going to side road on. I think uh, outside of maybe a couple bullpen moves or something like that or maybe bench depth. Dombrowski's done. I mean, he did what he needed to do in San Diego.
1: I also think he's leaving himself with some bandwidth for the deadline cuz he always makes moves. Yeah. Oh yeah.
0: Yeah, for sure. All right, guys, let's uh, we got a viewer question here uh daniel has put in a request to speak daniel hopefully it's not some payback for some of the shit that we've said already but uh what's up man
3: good how are you good dude what's up so uh what do you think the big massive deal the yankees are gonna do they say that there's stuff going on but I'm wondering, are they talking about trading Donaldson, Stanton or I mean I, I heard I heard they might be putting a Chick-fil-A in the three hundred level. <laughs> I I don't
0: I don't know.
1: I don't know. If that's Hey, I would love that. I love Chick-fil-A. I doubt that. Do <laughs> Daniel, when
0: you're
1: at when you're at a game, meet me for some Chick-fil-A, man. I will. Um I, I think they land Rodon. I, I I think that's the that's what Cashman does. And I think I think he gives him the extra year and the extra couple million dollars and they get Rodon. And I can see them making a play to actually. I was. This was going to be one of my hot takes. Uh, I think they trade one of their big name shortstops for another bat.
3: What type of bat do you think it's going to be?
1: An outfield. Um, Marucci two seventy. <laughs> <laughs> I think at this point it would have to be an outfielder. Um, I would love to see them go get a, a legitimate center fielder like Brian Reynolds. Sorry, oh. Jake. But but if you're gonna if you're gonna get a guy like that, you're gonna have to give up three to four top 30 prospects. And one of them is going to have to be one of the big name shortstops.
3: I'm okay with losing Peraza. Oh, See, here.
0: that's the thing. You're okay with losing Peraza, but the Pirates are not okay with bringing him on just because you are okay with getting rid of him. <laughs> like, And I, I mean that. Like, They're not giving up Brian Reynolds at a cheap deal. The real reason for that, and Daniel, you, you got to bear with me when I say this, you gotta pay a, a hefty price because of the years of control that Brian Reynolds possesses. I think the pirates have him through twenty seven, I well, believe. It, yeah, it's, it's three. I'm, I'm, I'm pretty
2: eight. sure Ben Sherrington has Brian Reynolds locked up in his basement right now too, like basically trying to Probably. trying to tell him, You do not want to be traded. You do not want to be traded.
1: <laughs> so I, um, I feel like it's going to cost a Dominguez plus a Trey Sweeney and probably two arms. So I, you're going to have to give a Volpe or Dominguez if you want, Reynolds. Currently...
3: Also, do you think Hicks and Donaldson gets traded? Oof, man, I
1: th- neither of those guys could play on my men's league team, so I don't know where they're <laughs> the, the only way those... <laughs>
0: The only way those guys get traded is in the trade simulator that Yankees fans possess for Brian Reynolds, and I'm not hey, saying man, that based don't, don't on Bobby Malone.
1: He, don't like Bobby Malone.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I'm <the> only <laughs> saying that because I've seen the trades that they have
3: proposed. No, in wait, Hicks we, we, every
0: single one. Of them. I would really like to see Adam
2: King and Bobby Malone compete in a slugdog <laughs> <box> battle.
3: <laughs> what? What?
2: <laughs> what the fuck? I'm kind. I'm kind of digressing here, but uh, yeah, I, I tend to agree with Andrew there that Rodon's going to be their their big move. Um, I did think that Correa was a possibility, but I I think there's kind of smoke there and no fire. So um, I think you could probably expect uh, maybe a Rodon. Uh,
3: you know, you, 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 I saw I- that he might be signing in the, by Tuesday or Wednesday. Is that true? Well, I left
2: my crystal ball at my house. So I can't look at it right now, but uh, yeah, yeah, that, that sounds pretty.
1: Yeah. I, I could see that. Yeah. I, I I don't know the time frame. I'd love to see it this week just to give us something to talk about next week, but um, the market's so robust that, you know, he could go, he, like Noah said before, he can go tonight or in a month. All right. Thank
3: you so much. No problem, man. Thank you. Dave. Go birds.
0: I feel kind of bad that we like started like bagging on him about, Yankees trade offers but for Brian Reynolds but uh, that was pretty good i yeah I don't know looking back I I just want to extend a little bit on Reynolds a little bit because like you said no I feel like Charrington has him locked up in his basement preventing him from going anywhere until spring training starts but it is going to take a decent haul and I don't mean decent I mean like spectacular haul to, to get a guy like Reynolds because, like yeah. I said, the control is the big top prize here. If this was the last year of Brian Reynolds' contract and the Pirates had no say over him, okay, maybe some of these deals look a little bit more realistic, but it's the fact that he's controlled throughout 2027, I believe. Like, he's going to be 30 by the time he's a free agent. Like, That's the big thing, and that's what people I don't think realize is like you're going to have to give up a significant haul to get a guy like that with a lot of control. And people just think it's like, yeah, yeah, and the Pirates do this to themselves. They trade very, very poorly, but I I think with a guy like Reynolds, they're going to be a little bit smarter.
1: Yeah, Ken Rosenthal said it this morning, I believe, or last night that it's going to take a Juan Soto-like package where you're going to have to send them four to five top 30 prospects. To even get in the conversation,
0: yeah. So I, that's the thing. Like, people think that a trade's just going to happen in the middle of the night for Reynolds, but no. Like, this is something that people are going to have to put a lot of thought in. Uh, again, if you have a question or a thought that you want to talk, that want to talk about, or at least give us a hot take, or just bullshit so, with us.
2: somebody get Bobby Malone in here.
0: Oh, <laughs> I need to the <laughs> drink for that. We need Bobby Malone. No, let's get John Heyman in here because I really want to put him on the spot about his lack of understanding in terms of journalistic Arson reporting. Arson Judge. Arson Judge to the Giants. Yes, sir
1: I would have Where's loved it? to have been sitting next to him as he posted that tweet just to just to look at him and think, man, your spell check. Oof, rough. Do you
2: think Joel Sherman looked at him dead in the eye and said, You're an idiot, John? <laughs>
0: I understand that he was probably exhausted because that has to be an exhausting process covering literally everything, being on edge for literally everything at the winter meetings. This
2: this guy was probably holding up a stethoscope to the wall of Aaron Judge's hotel room to try and see if he could hear any conversations and he thought he heard that he was going to the Giants. I,
1: I guarantee that he saw some rando Twitter account say Judge was going to the Giants and he just wanted to be first and in the process of his poor journalistic ability, you know, gave us a meme for, for ages to come.
0: I'm quite amazed that I am not blocked yet by John Heyman, because every time he says something about the Yankees or the Dodgers or some big market team, I'm always the first person to quote tweet him and say, you're a dud, John. And yet (laughs) I have, I know people that have actually been blocked by him for other things Rather than that, and yet I'm somehow not blocked, but I will continue to troll him until the day I die because it is so funny because he sucks at his job. Dude, Bob Nightingale is not the worst anymore. I mean, that title has been
2: claimed by John. I mean, it's, it's and over, In rather, rather quick form. Yes. Yeah,
0: Heyman, Heyman looks, makes Nightingale look like the new Ken Rosenthal.
2: And, and you know, like I've I've told this story before, but I I had the pleasure of peeing next to Bob Nightingale in in, uh, in, in San Diego at the winter meetings. And he is he is just a swell guy. I mean, really goofy, really stupid, but just a swell guy. And I I, I, I like him. I like him. He had a good stream
0: too. Okay. <laughs> there it is, folks. If you had Noah talking about pissing with Bob Nightingale on your bingo cards, you have successfully won the game of MLB Marathon Bingo. Uh, this is going to be one of the more eventful episodes, and I'm so thankful that we can do it. Well, it doesn't look like we have any more audience input, um, so let's get to our final segment here. Hot takes from the three of us, and if fans have any hot takes, we can get them on there too. But Andrew, since you're the guest of honor, I'll let you start with it.
1: All right. I alluded to it before. Um, I think Cohen goes over $450 million after penalties. I think the Yankees will move one of their top shortstop prospects. And just for Brian, I think Devers will turn down three hundred million dollars and get traded to the Dodgers.
2: Oh my God. We need Shon in here. You wanna talk about arson? Brian Schoen's gonna burn your house down.
1: Hey, you wanted hot. We we went hot as arson. <laughs>
2: Dude, that was freaking spicy. <laughs>
1: um,
2: all right, so I'm going to give like the dumbest hot take anybody's ever heard because I know this isn't going to happen, but I'm going to say that the Twins signed both Rodon and Correa. Ooh, that would be sick, though.
0: Hmm, I'm going to go with mine. I'm going to say the Pirates are still in for a decent pitcher name. They picked up Jarlene Garcia and Vince Velasquez, um, which, Noah, you laughed straight in my virtual <laughs> face whenever they picked up
1: Velasquez. <laughs> <laughs> that nasty, I understand. Nasty left fielder, bro. Nasty. Dude, Daniel's two way, got one. two-way player. The next Shohei otani
0: Oh God, give me a break. Let's while I while I let my uh constipation settle from Vince Velasquez's name. Daniel's got another comment for us. Daniel, welcome back.
3: What's going I, on? Uh, hot take. Hot take. I think. Uh, All right. I think. Bartolo Colon comes out of retirement and pitches for the Mets. Oh, Jesus Christ. Oh, super
0: hot take. Can you imagine? <laughs> <laughs> Big sexy's back.
2: Oh, God, you made my night, Daniel. He really did.
1: C- correct me if I'm wrong. He would not be the oldest pitcher on the staff. Actually. See. <laughs> oh,
3: no, he's 49.
1: <laughs> no, he's, 49. 49. <laughs> Bro, he's, he's old enough to be my father,
3: dude. And by the way, Brian Reynolds is under control for until so 26. Twenty six. Gotcha. Either way,
0: like that's still a lot of control, but oh, that's it's gonna be a tough day when I we do ultimately think, do well, trade if, him.
3: I do think if he's gonna get traded, I do think it's gonna be a Blue Jay or a Yankee.
0: See, I wouldn't mind the Blue Jays just because they're more of an underdog team, and I feel like they could offer maybe a little bit more. But I, I hope that's not the case. I hope Reynolds. Hey, is if a you could,
1: if you could pry Gabe Moreno from them, you know they, <sighs> they've got some guys. Give us maybe Kirk, and we'll be fine.
3: Well, I would I'd mean, like, yeah. another day because, honestly, he's so young and you have so much you can get from him. All right, so uh, we're, we're
2: digressing from, from the actual hot take there. If Bartolo Colon were to come back into the league, I think one of the stipulations would have to be he has to pitch shirtless covered in <laughs> baby
0: oil. Uh, hey, he's not called Big Sexy for no reason, right?
3: And James Shields comes out of retirement and pitches only to him. I'm that's pretty she- sure
0: James. I'm pretty
2: sure James Shields is at like a therapy session because of how quickly his career.
3: No, that's Matt Latos. Oh my god, I, I haven't so heard that true. name
2: in a long time. Oh, I'm pretty sure. Sh- pretty sure he works at a I Home like Depot to- now.
3: I'm not even joking. I went to a Jersey Jackals game, a New Jersey Jackals game, and he was pitching for the game. I only spent eight dollars to get into the to the to. <laughs> and I swear to God, he, the first fight. I saw in MLB history, not even like professional history, was him freaking picking the guy up and throwing him on the ground. Like, what the fuck? What town do the New Jersey Jackals play in? The Seacaucus. Oh, really?
1: Yeah, it's it's a nice complex.
3: Huh, I'll have to go to a game. Well, actually, this year, they're moving to, I think, some other Paramus. I think. Oh, there's a good ball up
0: there. <laughs> All right, Daniel, thanks so much for the comment. Um, okay. That was that, you know, Daniel, Daniel's a funny guy. I like I think, I think we should, we, to we might as well just Rob. add him
2: to the team at this point. He's been the only
0: one to speak with us. Daniel, Daniel, DM D- us. Daniel, Daniel wants Raphael Devers to be traded. <laughs> <laughs> Daniel, there's a, there's a great guy called Brian Schoen. You would Andrew, love to meet him.
2: Brian has a newborn. We cannot, <laughs> we cannot lose him yet. He, it's not Okay. <laughs>
0: okay, all right. Um, I'm going to draw the line there. That that's got that's that, there's no better way we can wrap up the episode. Other you than haven't that, even given so. your hot take yet. Do I really have to after, Ab- after Absolutely. that? Absolutely. Yes. All right. All right. All right. Yes. I'm, I'm going go to say the pirates. I'm going to say the pirates are still in for a big picture and I'm still very heavy on the fact that they're going to sign Sean Manaya. Oh, yeah, I think that, that's going to be that's their big, real big package. one. Damn! For the pirates, it is. <laughs> For the pirates, it's a big move. Okay, it's like it's like having micropenis syndrome and putting it next to a tic tac. That's how. That's a little bit of a buffer to your mental frontal, your frontal lobe. But <laughs> <laughs> we have lost all control of this episode. Holy shit! Um, it started off so professional. We, <laughs> took a, we took a hard right.
2: We missed the exit, so we tried to get off it. We never did. <laughs>
0: That, that's what I'm going to name the episode, We Missed the Exit. <laughs> the, jer- right, the Jersey Slide. Oh, my God. Well, that'll that'll wrap things up. I I got to mentally decompress from this episode because that was too good. But, hey, I want to thank everybody for being a part of our Spotify live room today. If you missed the episode or missed any part of this and missed exactly the point where we ran off the rails, you can listen to it on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, um, Spotify, uh, Anchor. Really, anywhere you get your podcast is where our show is going to be. at. You can also head over to MLBMarathon.com. We'll have a link directly to the episode once it is up. And make sure to check it out. Make sure to follow us on Twitter at MLBMarathon. And while you're at it, go ahead and follow our separate accounts. Noah still hasn't got one yet, so we're waiting for that. Uh, but um, you can follow Andrew at – let me pull – actually, Andrew, just give the, give the nice following your Twitter handle.
1: Yeah, it's simple, straightforward, at akon 3 A-K-H-A-N-O-3.
0: And you can follow me at underscore Radio Jake. And
2: like I said and before,
0: all all I have to say is um, Fry is going to kill us, and go, birds. <laughs> go, go, birds. Thanks, everyone. We'll see you next week. Sunday's 830 Eastern Time is whenever we record this episode. So if you want to be in the know, follow all of us here on Spotify Live, and we'll – You'll get the notification whenever we go live every Sunday night. And for changes in our schedule, you can find it on our Twitter. So for Noah and Andrew and for Daniel and the rest of our audience, thank you so much for listening. We appreciate the support for this episode. And hopefully we have more fun ones like this. We have more news down the road. Thanks so much. We'll see you next week.